All right, everyone, let's let's go ahead and get started. Good afternoon. Welcome to uh, Monday class. Um, we're, we're, we're nearing the end. We have about four more classes left. And uh, as I mentioned last uh, Wednesday, I'd like to at least finish covering the relapse prevention groups and then the trauma based groups before we end our semester. So that's kind of where we're going. Does anybody have any questions before we get into the material? All right, hearing none, um, I'm hoping I'm picking up where we left off. Thank you, Lauren. Um, let me bring up my screen. All right, um, <clears throat> if I remember right, the place that we left off is actually going over uh, the, the, the um, relapse process model, starting with cognitive behavioral models. So let, let's, let's start there and we'll, we'll uh, work our way through. So the basis of uh, the relapse prevention model when it comes to cognitive and behavioral approaches is that in a given situation where a person is at risk for substance use, uh, what the, the cognitive behaviorists believe is that it's not a lack of willpower, it's not a lack of, of, of um, you know, going along with those moral theories that there's something wrong with the individual. What uh, the cognitive behavioral people believe is that in a high-risk situation, the situation is going to trigger the need for that addictive behavior. And if the person has the right coping skills. In this case, it's usually some thought stoppers or some type of cognitive thought uh, exercise that the person does. If the person has effective coping skills to deal with that triggering behavior, that increases the chance that one, you won't have a relapse. And two, it increases your self-efficacy, which is in this case, self-efficacy is the belief that you can sustain from drinking or you can drink at the levels that, that, that you're comfortable with and it won't get into excess anymore. So if we follow this top line here, and this is kind of what this, this uh, uh, graph is pointing out. Um, is that uh, if we go along the top route, right? So we're in a high risk situ situation. We start craving, we start wanting and desiring to go with our addiction. If we have an effective coping response that increases the chance we won't use, but it also will increase our own self-efficacy, our belief that we can control uh, our addictive behaviors. And then of course, this decreases the probability for a relapse. If we go along the bottom line, uh, we start with you know, the high risk situation again. So somewhere that's making someone crave or, or, or the need to go through their addiction. If we have ineffective coping responses, we have a decreased self-efficacy belief that we can handle our, our use which then leads to a lapse or, or initial use of substance. So 
When we talk about a lapse, that's the first time in a relapse situation because we know it's going to happen. We know that probability-wise, only a few people really don't go through a lapsing process through this healing process. And then, of course, that brings up violations, the violation to abstain effect. So we have a decreased self-efficacy, and then we, 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 we vi this violation that we commit through the first initial lapse then triggers a need to reconcile uh, those, that feeling of kind of shame with that need to do that addictive behavior, which then increases the probability of future relapses. So this is kind of the model that, that, it, that uh, it works through in this next slide, um, uh, kind, of, kind of goes through it, right? Uh, in, in, in a little bit more uh, condensed feedback. So we have our high risk situation, we have ineffective coping skills that's going to decrease our self-efficacy and positive outcome expectancy, which is gonna to lead to a lapse, which then leads to a violation, which then it has to continue, excuse me. But at each of these places, and this is, this is part of the benefit of the cognitive behavioral um, uh, method, is that each of these, these uh, levels, you have a different place where an intervention can take place. So we start here and we will start with inventory of drug situation, drug taking confidence questionnaire. So we get a description of past relapses and relapse fantasies. And this tells us what high risk situations there are for a person. And then in the next uh, area, we have to take two things into account. The individual, which is stress management, uh, efficacy enhancing imagery, relaxation training. So you've got to take care of this individual. But then here below, we'll see, especially in an ineffective coping response, we also need to take care of the situation. So, so what are the situational skills to handle with the situation along with the individual? And then we go into the lap section where we, we introduce a lot more education about uh, immediate versus delayed effects and decision-making matrix so that the person has a way to structure how to um, evaluate any potential lapse or relapses. Um, and then we have, you know, reminder cards in the situation to, to when it gets to the point of a lapse that the, the, the person has some type of visual aid to help them uh, again. And then again, when we have a violation, we have to restructure this mistake versus coping, what, what caused that lapse. And so we have to do that reevaluation and restructure the way we think about it. So this is kind of how this model works. And we do know that it has some effectiveness. So uh, in some research where we had this skill training and went through all the training that we just saw, rough overdraft overview. And then we have some time lapse. And we can see that in the skills training, uh, the, 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 there was a lot less days of continuous drinking. We can see that. Uh, we can see that it wasn't perfect, right? So there was lapsing and relapsing in both groups, but it was far less in the skills training group versus a control. 
uh, number of drinks consumed uh, went way down compared to a control group. And days drunk, you can also see that the skills training did a lot better than the combined control. Now, when we get to controlled drinking, that means that, you know, part of the, your relapse prevention plan for this individual isn't complete abstinence, but it's being able to uh, drink at a more healthy, moderate level. We can see that with the skills training, there's more controlled days than there were uncontrolled days. So you can see it was very much smaller with the combined control, combined control group. So we can see that it has benefits uh, across the board and it really increases uh, the, the effect of if efficacy of the individual to actually follow through and believe that they can control their drinking, okay? So this is, this is just another example of, of uh, effectiveness of relapse. As you can see, uh, no one, this, this is baseline drinking and this is the days and months after treatment. And we can see that the relapse prevention group, even though it slightly ticks up uh, coming to the 12, it's much more effective than the control group. And this is just more evidence for that idea that um, um, uh, these are educational groups are really have lots of qualities. So when we look at, for example, aversion therapy. So aversion therapy is when th there's a couple versions of it. One is you just, you put that drug right in front of that person and then you measure them physiologically and you teach them how to relax. It's kind of a, what we call biofeedback. The other types of aversion therapy is uh, uh, you give a person a medication that makes them instantly nauseous. And then every time they start to trigger, you, you, you have them take that nausea medicine. It's, it creates something in psychology we call the Garcia effect, where you're actually creating an aversion to something that you didn't find aversive before. And if we see, so in a control group actually did a little bit better here, right? We follow this yellow line of aversion therapy and you can see that it's a, it's a direct line to, to um, uh, drinking again, right? Where again, when we look at the relapse prevention versus control, we have much more effectiveness with it. So, so let's review uh, uh, just kind of relapse prevention. Uh, okay, the, most relapse prevention groups don't, uh, don't actually prevent that first lapse, and that's an important thing to state, okay? Um, any better than any other active, but is more effective of relapse management, meaning that this isn't a, in the beginning, this, this therapy takes time to learn and to, to get used to. And so it's not going to be like an immediate solution. You need more like a detox situation or, or intervention system there in the beginning. And then you transition into uh, the relapse prevention, okay? Uh, particularly effective at maintaining treatment effects over long term. And that's one of the, once you get the person to start using these skills, they are effective at, at preventing relapses in, in, in the long run compared to control groups and, and the like. Um, 
And as this says, delayed emergence, it takes time for these skills to develop and to be implemented in more of a natural way. Uh, and it may be most effective for more impaired substance abusers, including those who are more severe levels of substance abuse, greater levels of negative effect and greater perceived deficits of coping skills. And that's one thing that I learned when I did uh, some research on some peer support groups is that the, the more severe the, the, the disorder in the initial beginnings of treatment, the more effective it was. It was less effective on mild to moderately severe individuals, which is kind of an interesting, almost counter, counter logical idea. And this slide right here just talks about some of the research that has been done on it that, uh, well, you know, the, there's over 17 controlled studies and just kind of showing its, its, its uh, reproducibility in the treatment setting. Um, and it's good, highly effective for both alcohol and substance use disorders. Um, moderator variables that we need to take into consideration is of course a group uh, format is more effective than individual therapy. That's why it's an emphasis in this class is because we do know that group, for some reason, group treatment for substance abusers tends to uh, be a little bit low, uh, better than, than individual. More effective as standalone than uh, as aftercare, meaning that it has its own place. Inpatient settings yielded better outcomes than outpatients, uh, which isn't surprising because you can control a lot of the things that happen in an inpatient setting that you can't control when a person is on outpatient uh, care. Um, stronger treatment effects for self-report rather than uh, physiological measures. While effective across all categories of substance use disorder, stronger treatment effects found for substance abuse than alcohol abuse. So it's a little bit more effective for that, those, uh, those different types, so. And I think that, you know, we, we, we also have to recognize that there's a very thin line between relapse and abstain. If we look at it from kind of a black and white, all or nothing type of model. And that, you know, if, 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 if we want to put our mind in the mindset of, of, of addiction, they're always walking that thin line between abstention and relapse. Um, and the bigger skills, meaning the bigger bridge we help them build, the broader that line starts to become. Okay. If we look at uh, kind of relapse prevention from a recovery perspective, um, this, this graph is always a little bit um, uh, interesting because we have the abstinent road versus the relapse road. Uh, one leads to recovery city and the other one leads collapse uh, city. And we can see that along the way there's always uh, uh, struggles and uh, lapses and, and uh, relapses. And we have to understand that uh, these roads, if not corrected, uh, do 
they can lead to either further damage for the individual. This kind of shows uh, kind of the, the a cycle of, of use, right? So this is after being discharged from a hospital for probably detox and you see your first set drink, second drink, and this is in minutes, social drinks, drank to intoxication. And you can see the spiraling that uh, um, happens from that first drink and then uh, we socially drink, we go out a little bit, we have fun, um, we start school maybe, and then eventually it leads back to this daily drinking uh, process near the end. And this is kind of what we call a progression of the disease, if you, if you want to think of it that way. As I mentioned, one of the, the one thing that leads to increased number of relapses is uh, this notion of uh, abstinent violation effect. This is where you, you, you went through a, a lapse and then you're sitting there and you know that it, you violated your, what you'd call your abstinence uh, uh, promise or, 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 or that want to not drink or, or limit drinks. And this caused something that uh, I, I would call kind of what we call cognitive dissonance, which is a difference between my behaviors and my thoughts and emotions. And we have to, and that when that happens, that violation happens, it creates stress within the individual that they then need to resolve. And there's a lot of ways that that happens emotionally. There's guilt, blame, and failure. Cognitively, uh, we, we feel like we're uncontrollable. Um, our self-awareness actually increases. We become what's called hypervigilant to our own emotional and physical states. And that can drive the addictive process in and of itself. Comparison to internal standards, greater differences, more guilt, of course, and behavioral reactions. Um, tend to look almost, I, I hate using this term, but a little bit OCD-ish, uh, meaning that the person will start to try and take over control of themselves and the people around them. And then cognitive reaction is you have to resolve that discrepancy, meaning either you go through some type of justification process or, um, or you just you know accept that that happened and you try to move on, okay? So what to do if a lapse does occur? Uh, and again, this is part of the education process that you would want to process with group members. Uh, is you, you know you stop, look, listen, keep calm, renew to your commitment, implement the relapse prevention plan if you stopped um, uh, following it, ask for help, review the situation leading up to the lapse, and that's an important component of recovery is understanding what led the person there to the in the first place. Coping with a lapse, uh, relapse plan with emergency procedures, relapse contract, limit extent of use, relapse reminder cards. These are all things that you would want to start to implement whenever you have someone who is actually lapsing or relapsing. 
And this is also a good learning moment for other group members to constantly know that they need to go through this every time that they have a relapse. Okay. I have a quick question. Yes. Okay, like um, you're saying coping with relapse and then um, the back to that last slide there. Um, when a relapse does happen in treatment, it is taken care of in treatment, correct? If it, if it occurred within the inpatient setting, yes. Okay, so what happens um, when it is outpatient? Like if when they're on their own, um, do they still go up with this, like your emergency procedures, uh, relapse? contract limit and all that stuff, that will have to be their own, right? Yeah, so, so these contracts and these emergency plans and whatnot is actually individualized. So in the, in the group setting, you, you have them do an individual exercise to come up with their emergency plan and then their, their contract. Um, and then when the relapse occurs, if the relapse occurs, let's be hopeful, that's when you have the group help the individual process the what happened. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So I have a I have um, another crazy question. Okay. Yeah. So what um, would you identify as relapse? I know using obviously using um is there like a gray zone? I guess like you know what I mean like yeah. um. How could I explain this? Like attending events, I guess that do that do up, like um, alcohol prevention. If you want someone to stay off alcohol, you gotta cut off ties with people and um, you know stay away from things that will make you um, relapse. So mm -hmm. they're, they're either you do or you don't type of deal, right? Well, I I would say that. Um... I, I, I think it's a lot more grayer than that black and white picture we put up because a lot of times a relapse just doesn't happen. Usually the person is committing behaviors that they might not immediately consciously think about leading to a relapse. But, you know, just for an example, your story, right? Uh, we know that people are a lot more successful um, with abstaining from use if they cut off old ties, right? Old friends yes. and stuff that led to using and stuff. And so, you know, part of the relapse process is uh, regaining those friendships, saying, I'm not going to drink. I just miss Joe, right? Um, I miss yes. Bob. I miss hanging out with those guys. And if you think about that, that's a slow progression towards the relapse itself. Ah, that's what I wanted to hear. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's difficult because I don't think a lot of people really want to recognize that there are people who are not good for us. Right. Yes. Um, and we miss friends. We miss all that. And that, but that's part of the justification process that can lead to a relapse. So I, I would say a few cases that, that, that it worked really successfully. Um, 
is is uh, this person had a the person had a unique social situation where even the drug dealer was supportive of them stopping and so with all of their old friends they went through what's my relapse plan so in some situations where the addict is open and honest and says hey i can't do this anymore here's my plan here's this those those necessarily don't lead to a relapse but it's when you do it at a very non-conscious level that you don't make any effort to say hey guys i'm in a relapse uh prevention program uh i want to hang out that those kind of conversations if that makes sense yeah so you got to kind of always be conscious like about your surroundings and which way you're going to be steering these um patients correct exactly absolutely yep excellent okay, question um i had a question about that so what if uh, an individual like let's say they're drinking alcohol right and they haven't drank alcohol for so many months and then they're like oh, okay you know i haven't relapsed i have no desire but then they're in a situation where they have a couple sips of a drink or like a drink, does that count? Or is like a relapse is like they're, they're back in their entire, you know, like nonstop binge drinking or drug using kind of situation? I think that's another excellent question and, 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 and to not just simplify the issue is that's that the first part is, is, is the client needs to say what is, what is their addiction? What is their, what are they trying to do? Are they trying to abstain or are they trying to moderate? Um, and so that's the first part of the question. Now in, in this question, I, I'm kind of assuming that this is a person who wanted to abstain from drinking instead of control drinking. Let's, let's use that example first in this situation, just like with the other one. And that's why it's not always so clear is that a person, uh, who's an, and who has addiction issues don't consciously always know that they're driving themselves towards a high-risk situation. Um, and then when they are in that high-risk situation, they do a lot of justifying, like, oh, I'm just going to take a couple sips, a couple sips, right? But then the issue becomes is that next time, uh, is it going to be a couple sips? Or is it going to be a whole can? Or is it going to be a whole bottle? And eventually, it's going to start to escalate. So a relapse isn't necessarily just this one time and done. Relapse is an event that occurs over time. And I think that that's an important point to make is that a lot of times it's not that, oh, I drove by a bar and I had a trigger and so I did a coping skill and the, the, I'm fine, right? It's much more like your example is that it's a slow... Sometimes it's a very slow progression back into the addictive process. Um, I would say, really, a relapse is, is a person going back to their old patterns of behavior, right? Um, because it's those old patterns that then lead to the addictive process. So a relapse isn't necessarily just picking up a bottle and starting to drink. It's going back to old patterns of thinking and behaving. Uh, 
And that's when a person is really at risk. Does that make sense? Did I answer your question? Yes, you did. Awesome, good, good, okay. Any other great questions? Those are good. Okay, so let's go on with this decision matrix. This is something that you know, often can present to uh, this to to clients. This is something they can carry around with them because with the decision matrix, what we're trying to do is get away from that immediate um, need for satisfaction, that immediate need for um, uh, use in a lot of ways. So when we look at immediate consequences, uh, if we abstain, uh, we'll have improved self-efficacy, conf confidence, esteem, family approval. If we relapse, we end up with frustration, denial of pleasure, anger at oneself. Not, And then if we look at delayed consequences, enhance ability to control one's life, more money, more respect, the negative delayed consequences is denial of immediate uh, or seeming easy gratification, okay? So this kind of shows, you know, what can happen if, 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 if we properly abstain, what happened if we don't. And, and we've got to be honest with ourselves too, because when it comes to, so this is abstention, this is alcohol use. And, and we can see that immediate reduction of anxiety, revenge against one's spouse, better feelings about work, immediate gratification. All of these are the positive aspects of cutting it out versus the negative ones of continuing. So these are kind of tools that you can use when a person is triggering, have them take this out and kind of read over it and, and whatnot. And, and this is also a good catalyst for a group discussion about decision-making and where decisions will lead a person, okay? If we look at this next graph, it kind of gives us a good stages of changes in substance abuse and dependency, okay? And, and, and this probably looks very familiar to those who have been through the prevention class and, and, and the, the addiction class. But this is basically the stage of, of healing uh, or relapse. Okay, we have the pre-contemplation stage where um, we're really motivated, we're really ready to go. And then we have the contemplation stage where we start doing assessment and start looking for proper treatment. Okay, so we have the motivation and now we're really starting to assess it. And then we go through a preparation stage where we're still just kind of where the motivation isn't as important as just making sure that we're getting the treatment and the assessment. And then during the action stage, and this is important, in the action stage, we have what's called maintenance and we have relapse stage because we know we're humans and we're fallible and we go going to relapse. And that's why we want prevention and relapse management uh, rather than just saying, uh, you know what, uh, I'm going to abstain and that's it and I'm done uh, because we know that humans, uh, yes, sure, there's humans that are capable of it, uh, but for the most part, uh, we have to allow people to be people and make mistakes. 
So that's kind of the 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 model that will be that we use. Um, I think what would be helpful for next time is is we'll watch a video on on a group doing relapse prevention. I think that would be a good good experience for this Wednesday. Um, I went through that really quick. I actually meant to take up the whole entire class time. So I'm, I'm gonna open the floor for any questions uh, that anyone might have. You're all quiet today, it's Monday. Yes, Tina. You used the word lap, and I've I've never heard that before, and I've always heard of relapse. What what's the difference? So, a lapse is that first. So after you go through treatment, that lapse is that very first time where you uh, go back into the addictive process. So you go and use alcohol or you take a drug. That, that, and the reason why that's called a lapse is because it's the first time that you've tried to do any skills to stop your drinking. And so it's not necessarily a relapse. It's more of that very first lapse of judgment or lapse of, of, of not following through with your treatment. And then after that, after that, it becomes a relapse because relapsing, you're continuing. You, you know the schools, you, you know the skills, you've been through a, a, a lapse. And so from there on out, it's more of what we call a relapse. I know it's kind of strange vernacular, really. It makes sense now. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? Let me check the chat. I, I just had a question about um, your office hours so I could discuss my grades. Okay. Uh, yeah, Marcella, what I'll do is uh, let me email you with the thing you click on to schedule an appointment. Will that work? Yes, that will work. Thank okay. you. All right. Try to make a note. Okay, so let's see. I think we got that one more. What do you think? Some are given those drugs for relapse, yes. It really depends on the individual and the level of addiction and ability to control the behavior itself. But yes, that's been used. Leanne, when assessing in the beginning, is it good to see what type of aftercare program there is? Yes, uh, in fact, that's what the relapse prevention plan is uh, that, that was mentioned earlier, is that basically part of the prevention plan is also continuing with some type of aftercare, whether it's a 12-step program or, a, or a, a different type of program, sticking with the group that, that, that they're with currently, um, all of those things should be 
part of of that relapse plan, which includes the aftercare. Yes, definitely, Leanne. Thank you. Do I have an example? Let me do this, uh, uh, Winona. I will have one from Wednesday. Relapse prevention plan example. I'll have that uh, then, okay. Yes, Leanne, correct, uh-huh. Because we got to remember, addiction isn't just about the drug, right? It's 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 a complex uh, disease that 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 has multiple factors in it. All right, gang. Well, if there's no other questions, let's go ahead and close up for today. So, and I'll, I will make sure that I bring a relapse prevention example plan on Wednesday and we'll watch some video and then we'll start kind of start if we're all comfortable with the relapse prevention group, we'll, we'll then start on trauma-based groups, uh, which are very similar in a lot of ways. Um, the, and the educational model, just like with relapse prevention tends to be one of the better models for trauma-based groups, but that's where we'll head. Uh, but let's go ahead and, and, and close up a little early today and everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, have a Bye, good one. Everyone.